going to be reading from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 onwards, 15 to 21, uh, reading from the ESV. All right. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, may the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be pleasing to you in your sight, O Lord. Uh, move in a way that only you can move. Because you are God, and I am not. We are not God. So, Come through in a way that only God can. Ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can all have a seat. Uh, welcome. My name is Arpit. I'm a member here at Restored Church. Uh, and we're in a series through the book of Matthew. Our passage today, as we just read, is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 onwards. Um, and kind of give a context to what this passage is about. I want to talk about this little documentary which came a little while back. Um, it's about a paper company in this town called Scranton. The show is called The Office. If, if you don't know what the show is about, don't worry. Uh, it's not probably the best or pr most profitable use of your time, but I like the show. I've watched it a few times. Um, and in one of the openings, there's this one guy, Jim, um, who always he plays pranks on this other guy, Dwight. Now, Jim's this white dude with shabby-looking hair, and one day the prank he decides to play is uh, there's an Asian dude sitting in Jim's seat. He's wearing Jim's clothes, and Dwight's like, who are you? The guy's like, I'm Jim. He's like, no, you're not. He's like, what do you mean, Dwight? Like, we're friends. He's like, no, you're not. Like, Jim sits there. Like, Jim has a family. And so he shows a picture, this Asian dude with Jim's wife and Jim's kids, and like, He's then the family picture, and Dwight at this point is furious. He's like, identity theft is no joke, Jim. And that's, that's exactly what, what this passage is about. Identity theft is no joke, uh, especially our identity about Christ. Or Christ's identity is no joke. Uh, it has eternal consequences. So, again, let's, let's dive into this passage um, to, give, to give a context about where this passage lies. So Matthew's writing to the Jewish audience, uh, and he's established Jesus in this kingly lineage. Earlier on, he talks about how Jesus is born in the line of King David. And Matthew also starts drawing these parallels. Again, like for the Jewish reader, he's drawing these parallels between Jesus and Moses. So he, he shows that both of them are coming out of Egypt in the beginning. Moses walked through the waters of the Red Sea. Jesus through the waters of baptism. And he's going to walk on water after this. Moses brought the law to the people from a mountain, and Jesus preaches and explains the law from a mountain. And, and we may think, like reading this, uh, maybe the Jewish audience, or maybe even us, we may think Jesus is just another spiritual leader, or a great prophet, or maybe we functionally reduced him 
uh, to a lawgiver. Maybe we don't confess like, oh no, Jesus is God and all that. Maybe we may say that, but functionally in our heart, maybe Jesus is just another lawgiver. Maybe it's like, now we have the Old Testament and the New Testament to keep. Maybe that's, that's our view, right? Well, Matthew over here is going to shake things up. Uh, the first, first point I want to talk about is the setup. So it's the first few verses, uh, Matthew setting the scene up for us, or setting up this prophecy for us. So Jesus, again, last, last week we were going through how Jesus had this, like, almost like a standoff with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus just won. He won clearly. It's a hostile situation. Um, and, like, the Pharisees want to kill him. Like, that's, that's, what, that's where the verses end last week. The Pharisees want to kill him because Jesus proved them, proved them wrong. Pharisees want to kill, kill him. Jesus is aware. Jesus is not, like, unaware. He's aware. It's a tense and potentially volatile situation. And it's, our text starts like this. Jesus aware of this. Jesus is aware. And he's in total control. He's aware of the Pharisees' thoughts. He, he's aware they want to kill him. And he responds. He responds with courage and kindness. You see, Jesus isn't there to ride the ego high that comes from winning an argument. If I was Jesus, I'd probably like, all right, guys, let's go around to I'll win again. Round three, I'll win again. And I'll like walk like, like, like this is a one-sided competition. Let me show you. That, that would have been me, not Jesus. Not Jesus. He's not there to ride the ego high. It says he withdrew from there. He withdrew. He didn't escape. He withdrew. And many followed him. And this is like, like for me, this is crazy. See, one, Jesus didn't secretly go away somewhere in fear. No, he allowed people to follow him. Many followed him. And what's crazier is he's healing them all. I'm like, if, if I were Jesus, and if I'm like, man, these people should know the law, and they don't know the law, like, I'm frustrated at this point. I'm like, guys, no one talk to me. I need some me time to recover. You see, my response to a tense, volatile situation uh, would be to retreat. I'd be in fear. I'm like, man, there's a group of, like, pretty powerful people out there to kill me. Like, I, I, I want to, like, stay in hiding for a while. I'll be feeling overwhelmed. I just want to be by myself. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus responds with courage and kindness. You see, he's good. I am not. Ten situations, my, my, my reason for goodness um, is all revolving around like me. Like, I need to keep myself safe. I need to take care of my feelings. Uh, and it's just about me. It's not about others. It's not about God, let's, let's, to say the least. And we, we're going to see this section ends with like, like where my sense of goodness would probably not fit, fit with Jesus' sense of like, like his response really confronts my sense of goodness. Because uh, it says he ordered them not to make him known. You see, a trend in our society these days is posting on social media. Hey, look, I'm feeding all these homeless people. Hey, look, I'm paying someone else's parking ticket. Hey, look, I'm, I'm doing this good thing. Look at me. Look at my goodness. Yeah? But not Jesus. Jesus is like, no, don't, don't tell people this happened. Like, why? You see, we don't know the spiritual reality of the people that Jesus healed. And Jesus is, didn't want to be known as the miracle man. That's not his identity. Well, well, what is his identity? 
Matthew's going to lay it up plain in this next portion. goes to my next point, the servant. Uh, Matthew's going to straight up show and prove that Jesus is not just another David or another Moses. No, 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 no. The section starts with these words, all right? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, all right? So the moment this, like, the reader would have read this, you know, the early audience, it would have captivated them. Why? Because Isaiah is like written like about 700 years before Jesus, and like he's saying like Jesus is fulfilling this. This is not like some vague like, oh, tomorrow the sky may be blue, the sky may be like cloudy, kind of mumbo jumbo. No, this is a very specific, clear foretelling of a person, and Jesus is fulfilling this completely and perfectly. See, the prophecy is not about you or me. You can read this and be like, oh, I'm, I'm a good person. I can, I can see myself in this. But even in that, we're, we're not, this is not about us. And we're going to see that. Uh, the second point is, like, second, second thing that as soon as you read this, it should, for me, it draws my attention to Matthew 5.17. See, Jesus over there says, earlier on, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. No, I have come to fulfill them. You see, Jesus is the only one who's ever fulfilled the law perfectly. See, when we hear law, when I hear law, I'm thinking like a set of do's and don'ts. I got to like follow these things um, to like either please my parents or to please someone in society or like that. That's, that's my view of the law. See, but the purpose of the law is never that. The purpose of the law is to reveal God to us. It reveals God's heart to us. It reveals God's holiness to us. And Jesus is the only one who perfectly kept it. Why? How? Because he is God. How, how do you say that, Arpit? How, how can you say that? Well, let's look at the, how this prophecy unfolds. All right? It says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. And when I read that, uh, that language in the first two lines like the, there's only two other times where a similar language is used. One in Matthew 3.17, with the baptism of Jesus. Uh, if we could pull that up, Matthew 3.17. Yep. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then later on in Matthew 17.5, with the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, yeah, he was still speaking when a Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So you can say like, hey, in both these sections, it says, uh, Behold, my son with whom I am well pleased. Whereas over here, it says, Behold, my servant with whom I am well pleased. So you just, just want to clarify something. This is talking about the same person, all these uh, passages, because this phrasing of words, behold my son or my servant with whom I'm well pleased, it's not used to describe anyone else except Christ. Um, and so when we read the word servant over here, it, there are two approaches we can take. One, the word, the, the Greek word used could be translated as son. Or the other, which I've taken is, over here, the word servant more so reflects the posture of Christ. Um, Philippians 2, 5-7 says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, Christ is the true servant. He truly came to serve and not to be served. He, he served, when he served, he never grumbled. And in my own strength, when I serve, all I'm doing is I'm adding to my set of filthy rags. Not Jesus. You see, he was, Jesus was serving Judas. In the art, Judas was about to betray Jesus. Jesus is like washing Judas' feet. That, that's, that's how he served. He, he knows Judas is going to betray him. His service is not, Jesus is not like, oh man, why should I serve him? He's going to betray me. Like, no, Jesus is there to serve, and he served. And so, like, this is Christ's true posture in this, right? So we already seen, like, hey, Jesus is God, like, and it's talk, like this prophecy is talking about Jesus setting himself up as God, it's talking about his posture as a servant. It says, I, I will put my spirit upon him. Again, it's appointed to the Trinity. Um, again, echoes the fact that Jesus is God. Uh, and, and Jesus doesn't, like, this verse also says, the section also says, uh, Jesus just doesn't have the Father's approval, but he has his empowerment as well. Yeah? What is, what is Jesus empowered to? He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. All right, so the moment I read this, I'm probably like, okay, Gentiles is probably for the Israelites and like people who are not Israelites. And maybe I'm thinking, oh, Gentiles, probably, probably people who are not Christians. And I might have all these thoughts in my head. So let's break this down, all right? Um, from an ethnic point of view, I'm going to take a guess. Most of us here probably are Gentiles. Um, it, but even if, if not, like let let's see let's see let's see what this verse how this verse words these words unpack sorry so first it says he will proclaim justice and when I read when I read that justice I've always read it as like oh Jesus is gonna preach the gospel to people like he's gonna like preach the good news to people um, but when I truly consider justice it's a little bit more weighty because justice and judgment have the same root word and for um, Judgment to happen, you're going to be judged against something. So over here, God is going to judge us, and if he's going to judge us, he's going to judge us against himself. If I'm being honest, that doesn't sound like a lot of justice to me. And I'll tell you why. You see, I, I don't square up to God's standards, God's law. Leave alone God's law and God's standards. I don't even square up to my own law and my own standards. Like Paul says, like, man, the things I know I should not do, I end up doing those things. And the things that I know I should do, I don't do those things. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment for not keeping God's law, death. That's not fair, Arpit. I agree, family. Sin is not fair. Sin is not fair at all. God cannot tolerate sin. He is without sin, and therefore he cannot tolerate the sin in us. You see, we don't make the rules. It's not fair, yeah. We don't, we don't make the rules. He does, because he is God. I'm not, you're not, he is. 
So that's, that's a pretty sobering place to be. And thankfully, the prophecy doesn't end there. You see, because the next section shows us how God loves us and cares for us uh, and, like, is going to make a way, like, in all this. All right? Brings me to my last point. Still got a few more pages, but last point. Uh, so it starts, starts with this. He will not cry out, uh, he'll not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And you read this and you're like, wait, wait, wait. Only last week we saw Jesus having to stand up with the Pharisees. Um, he, he, like, he like confronted them. And you're right, he did confront them. But what about, what about like the Sermon on the Mount? I'm like, I'm going to use some like sanctified imagination over here, and I'm going to say Jesus probably didn't whisper and everyone heard it in their hearts. I'm going to say Jesus used his outdoor voice and like people heard him. So you should have raised his voice there, right? Uh, or what about the time where it says uh, Jesus stood at a public place and he cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Um, yeah, what about those times? All right. To clarify, the section that we just read talks more about Jesus' character, his meekness. Again, this whole section is going to put Jesus' meekness on blast, right? So for the original audience, when they read, when they read the word quarrel, it was more the idea of like uh, yelling, um, kind of like hassling, wrangling, um, and when they hear the word cry out, it's like a dog barking or a drunk person like kind of bawling. So it's not, not pleasant sounds, right? Jesus, he doesn't do that. That's not Jesus. Have you ever been in an argument? Quickly becomes a yelling competition. The loudest, the person with the loudest voice wins. He, doesn't have, he or she doesn't have to be right. They just have to be loud. But again, not Jesus. How about like being, have you been in a situation where someone's constantly watching over your shoulder and like the moment you make a mistake, they're like, aha, I knew you'd do that. Not Jesus. A far as you're probably in a public setting and someone starts yelling at you. Maybe it's, it's a family member, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a friend, or far worse, maybe it's someone you don't even know. Not a pleasant feeling. Not Jesus. That's not Jesus. See, the NLT, like, I like how the NLT translates this. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. Jesus is kind. He is compassionate. And he loves us. He cares for us with much gentleness. And, like, the next section puts this very beautifully, and I really love this. I really love these verses. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. It's a beautiful word picture. So the first, first part, right, the Bruce Reed part. So reeds were by, are, are still by the plenty. You go to a water body, you see a lot of reeds. Um, and back in the day, they were used for making like pens or flutes or measuring devices. Anything that it can be used for, they would use it. And so if there's a Bruce Reed, then they're not going to use it. There are like so many reeds, like why, well, there's nothing special about the Bruce Reed. Just move on. Or like a smoldering wick, um, like again, like back in the day, they had like these oil lamps, the oil's going to run out, things kind of start smoldering, and so people want to like quickly put it out, because if not, 
it's going to burn the wick down, it's going to get smoky. So it's, it's a very like natural and quick response. Like no one wants to use the uh, Bruce reed because it's nothing special about the reed. No one wants to like keep the smoldering wick going because the, the natural and res uh, response is to quench it quickly. And maybe you're sitting here believing that there's nothing special about me. I am bruised. No one cares about me. Nothing. Like, why should anyone care about me? There's so many other people far better than me. They're more skilled than me. They're more Christ-like than me. Why, why should anyone care? Maybe you're sitting here saying, like, man, I have no fuel. I have so little faith. Like, does God even exist? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. If we're being honest, at some level, all of us are kind of bruised, or, or we're smoldering in some sense. It may not be today, it may have been in the past, or it's probably going to come in the future. It's just a consequence of living in our broken and sinful world. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus, and maybe you're sitting here saying, Dude, you have no idea the bruising I've been through. Like, people have bruised me. I have bruised myself. You have no idea. And you're right. I, I don't have an idea. But Jesus does. In fact, he too was bruised. And we're going to look at that in a, in a moment. Maybe you believe in Jesus. And you're saying, like, I'm, I believe in Jesus. I can't be bruised. Like, what is this bruising? This is not for me. Or maybe you're hiding your bruises. You're, you're, you're scared, like, oh man, I'm, I'm a Christian. I can't show my bruises to people. What will people say about me? I don't know where you are, but I just want to like consider, want you, want you guys to consider the words of this theologian, Daniel Durian. So he says, Peter realized that he was still a reed when he denied Jesus three times in his hour of need. Peter wept bitterly but he took his tears, his bruising to Jesus. So too, our failures can teach us that we are bruised, especially if we fail in a public way. David bruised himself when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He was almost broken until he repented and felt God in healing his bones. When we fail morally, whether anyone ever knows it or not, we should see that we are bruised reeds. The king of Israel bruised Jeremiah when he sliced up and burned the book of Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah prophesied and wrote again, but the king proved how fragile Jeremiah's work was. At work, we can labor for months and see it all come to naught with one sentence from a, boy, from a boss. I don't think we will go that way, or I don't think you're ready for this assignment. We are bruised reeds. The Lord bruised Paul with a thorn in his flesh. That thorn was a physical affliction. Its pain taught Paul humility and dependence on God. The Lord humbles us when our bodies contract diseases or discolor and misfire. We are bruised reeds. See, the purpose of the bruising is in in itself. The purpose of the bruising is to remind us that oh, if we are weak, we cannot do this on, on our own. I don't think a reed grows up and then just bruises itself. Like sometimes it is external. Sometimes something else breaks it. 
the lamp's not going to like know how much fuel it has. The lamp's just doing its thing. It's burning. And like the fuel runs out, it starts smoldering. Sometimes life happens, as Pastor Pete always says. And sometimes we bruise ourselves, like it says here, David bruised himself when he committed adultery. And I don't, I don't know where, where we are, church family. I don't know where each of us are at individually. I, all I want to say is this. Jesus isn't here to break you or to snuff you out. He is gentle and he is kind, but he is also strong. And he is going to care for us. How? All right. The next section, this next line, brilliant. It says, until he brings justice to victory. And if you've been tracking with me till now, we already know that in God's law, like when, when we hear the word justice, it's not necessarily the best thing in the world for us because uh, true justice leads to death. And in this case, it, it means our death. The word, the word of God says the wages of sin is death. Wage is something that we rightfully deserve. This is our fair share, death. But Jesus is going to bring justice to victory. How? Thankfully, the verse doesn't end there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the gift. It's free. It's from God. So therefore, it is good. And, and though he should rightfully grant us death, which is eternal separation from him, he's offering us life through Jesus. How? How is Jesus bringing justice to victory? By paying our tab. See, we, we owe God a penalty. We, we need to pay God something. There's, there's a consequence. There's a price. The price is death. But Jesus died in our stead. For the things I did with my hands, my hand should have been pierced on a cross, but his was. Places I, sh I know I shouldn't go, my feet should have been pierced on to that cross, but Jesus' was. Wicked thoughts, I should have worn the crown of thorns, but Jesus did. Lustful desires, my side should have been pierced with a spear, but his was. He was bruised, rather took the ultimate bruising for us in my place. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Here's the good news, family. The story just didn't end there. Jesus just didn't die in our place. He rose again on the third day. That proves that neither death, nor sin, nor Satan could defeat him. No, he was rose victorious, defeating sin. And that's how he brought justice to victory. That's the victory over there. This last line reads like this, right, in the prophecy. And in his name, the Gentiles, the nations, will hope. You see, Jesus offers hope to all. The nations. Jesus says, come unto me all who are burdened. The word of God says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Everyone, everyone, everyone's welcome. You may say, Arpith, if you look at me, like all you'll see is bruises. Maybe you're saying, Arpith, no truth has ever satisfied me. That's the bruise I'm carrying. Maybe you're saying, Arpith, I was once on fire for the Lord. Man, I used to like show up at church. 
I used to, like, every ministry opportunity, I used to be there. But now, it's all snuffed out, man. No faith, just smoldering. Or maybe you're saying, like, Arthur, leave alone faith. Like, the life has been, the light has been snuffed out of my life. I have no intention to even live. Family, let me remind you, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You see, the thing about a bruised reed is it cannot heal itself. Like, I haven't seen a reed which is broken, which is like one day like, whoop, I'm back to normal. Doesn't happen. <laughs> not, not like a lamp that's out of fuel, it's going to like fuel itself. Doesn't have, even our candle, like leave like an oil lamp, like a candle, you burn it, the candle goes down, it's out of wax, it's done, buy a new candle. The wax doesn't come up again. In both those cases, there's an external intervention that is needed. Family, we too cannot save ourselves. It's humbling, but that's the truth. We cannot save ourselves. We too cannot fuel our own faith, if we're being honest. We need God's intervention. We need Jesus. I want to call upon Pastor Mike as we transition. It's a little shorter than I kind of ran through it, but yeah. As we transition into a time of communion, I want to call upon Pastor Mike. See, in the Bible, when the glory of God was revealed to, through Moses, when he met God in the mountain and the law was revealed, he came down, people couldn't, like, people are like, put a veil in your face, man, we can't even see you. It was too much. On the other hand, when the glory of God is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, it is attractive. If the Spirit's moving in your heart, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Reach out. Hopefully, prayer team? No? Uh, there'll be a prayer team in the back. Uh, or reach out to a friend who probably brought you here. At the end of the day, truly realize, family, there is hope in Jesus.